Well, it's time for your soon-to-be favorite episode of Rolling Dice and Taking Names. Wait, wait, wait. Favorite? Why? Because it's only 30 minutes, right? Fair. In this special short episode of Rolling Dice and Taking Names, the guys cover the surprise game from Peterson Games, Cthulhu Wars Duel. Hello, and welcome to a special episode of Rolling Dice and Taking Names. This is episode 217. My name is Marty. And I'm Tony. And we are excited to talk about a brand new game that just came out of nowhere from Sandy Peterson Games called Cthulhu Wars Duel. If you're familiar with Sandy Peterson Games and some of their other lineups, you know that they are big into Cthulhu's. Tony, I know we looked up, they they do RPGs, Call of Cthulhu, etc. They have a lot in that uh, Cthulhu mythos universe over there. Yes, they do. And I mean, Peterson Games, because I'm correcting you, because I'm not going to give out anything for this special one. I'm not going to give any money for this. Okay. Cthulhu Wars. I didn't realize that that Kickstarter was that long ago. Yeah, it was uh, like 2013 into 2012, 2013 and made $1.4 million. And seven years ago, an over million dollar Kickstarter was a really big deal. Exactly. It was unheard of. So this is very interesting that they took that very successful game and boiled it down into a two player. And as you know, and I know two players have been what we've been doing a lot of lately. Publishers will contact us and say, are you interested in this two player only game? Yes, we are. Cause we can get together, take all the precautions that we need and uh, get a game on the table. And we were able to do this with this one. So when they contacted us and said, Hey, will you guys like to check it out? I said, we would. I said, does it matter that we never play Cthulhu Wars? And I said, no, in fact, it'd be interesting to hear your thoughts as somebody that's never played the original game. I've never played Cthulhu Wars. I do not know anything about it other than what Marty has told me over on the Arkham side of this, that it's these two great ones. They're going to battle out and they're going to just try and take over the world. And I'm just like, okay, that's pretty straightforward. So what is the catch to this game? What is it that is going to set this apart from all these other two-player games that we've been playing that have this area control mechanism? As you told me, Marty, I was not expecting this. First off, you score 30 points, you win. And I'm like, that's great. It's none of this in-game, take long, how to score up all these victory points. No, you said, here you go, man. If you get to 30 points, you win. There's some hidden victory points over here, but the game ends there. I'm like, I like that. I like a predefined end point. And I go, so what else is different about this from a two-player area control type game? Well, let me ask you something before we really get into how it works. Do you view this as more of a board game or can you see it as a miniatures game? What's the difference, I ask you? I wouldn't consider something like Blood Bowl or some of the more popular mm. uh, games that uses miniatures as a board game. I, I know I know it's a gray area. It's like you're playing on a board. But a miniatures feel is like, all right, you're controlling a unique faction. I'm controlling a unique faction. There's some sort of winning condition that we're trying to meet. Typically in miniature games, you're trying to beat each other's opponents down. You're trying to bring new people onto the field. You get points for beating uh, the other person's monsters and cultists, just like you do in this game. Combat is resolved through dice rolls. It is a you-go, I-go sort of format. If you remove the fact that it's not miniatures in the game, it's actually standees. To me, the format feels like a two-player miniatures game. To be honest with you, I wouldn't define it either way. I'd just say it's a good game. 
It's a good <laughs> I guess I was just thinking about that because I saw these big, beautiful miniatures from Cthulhu Wars, and uh, those aren't in this. So just so you'll know, this game is only going to be $29.99. What they wanted to do is provide that big box experience and a lot smaller, inexpensive box, but for just two players. But it still has some of the same aesthetics. Um, or same mechanics as as in the full game. And as we were learning the game, Tony, I thought it was very interesting that on your turn, you're going to spend uh, power in order to take actions. And you keep going until you're out of power. And then uh, as soon as the other person's out of power, that will end the round and do some resolution. I immediately said to me, that has a feel of blood rage, of how you spend a certain resource in order to mm-hmm. take an action. And with, just like with Blood Rage, you spend resources to bring new people onto the maps. You spend resources to move people. The exact same thing happens in here. You spend power to spawn monsters, to spawn cultists, and to move them around the board. Okay, I'm already confusing myself because a lot of things have happened. Didn't you go spend power and then it was my turn to spend power? Yeah, we went back and forth, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. I was just saying that we both went until both of us had passed with zero power left. You're right. Because there was that neat me- mechanism where if I had spent all my power and you still had some, was that called the Doom Tracker? I don't think so. What was it called? It was called the de- Decay Marker, which I thought was a, a very interesting mechanic, but you can explain how that worked. After I commit all my power, Marty would take his turn. Then on my turn, I don't have any power to spend, but I would move up the decay tracker by one. And what this would do is it would increase the amount of power Marty had to spend on his next move. So in a way, it was kind of a thing. I called it the hurry up mechanism. Yeah, that's exactly right. Because let's say you're out of power and I have three mm-hmm. and I use one. It goes back to you. You move up the decay marker one. Well, part of my cost to activate is whatever the current decay marker is sitting on. So I need to pay one, only leaving me one left over. So you can see where it compounds over time. If it went two or three rounds, I'd have to be spending like three of my power to even take an action. It is kind of a hurry up thing, or I guess to keep you from just from one person totally running away with it. Yeah. And I think that's the the beauty of it is it comes out and says, okay, oh man, I spent all mine to get out my great old one out on the board. And I'm just going to sit here and watch you quickly build up a whole bunch of armies. No, this thing's going to go back and forth. You're going to summon a monster. Decay tracker goes up and that may impact you. So it even puts more strategy on your turn on how you want to spend knowing the decay marker is moving up. And your turn consists of very simple actions in using that power. You get to take one of several actions. You can spend one power to recruit a cultist. And you have three different things that you have on your faction. You're playing two totally different factions. The base game comes with one faction that is Cthulhu, the Great Cthulhu. And the other is the Black Goat, which is Shub Nigaroth. S-H-U-B-N-I-G-G-U-R-A-T-H. How have you pronounced that? So you can recruit cultists, you can recruit monsters, you can actually call in and summon the, the elder one. And when you recruit a cultist, there's certain rules that you have. You must have another unit in an area that you're recruiting. The board is it's a small board. It's broken up into different areas of Arkham, pretty much. There's different cities there. There's some water spaces in between. And as long as you have any of your units in the space, you can spend one to recruit a cultist. As long as you have a gate, everybody starts out with a gate at the very beginning, which is very important because that's going to help generate uh, power for you. If you control a gate, you can spawn a monster or a great one there, and their cost is variable. There's small monsters, there's big monsters. You can pay up, pay three to create a gate. If you have a cultist in an area and you want a new place to spawn, 
pay three power, create a gate, put a, one of your cultist markers on there to indicate that you own that gate. One power to move. And this kind of reminds me of Blood Rage. You spend a power, move a unit one space. Spend a power, move a unit one space. So that's how you get around the board. Pay one power to battle. We'll explain how battle works later on. And then uh, just one power to capture a cultist, uh, which is basically getting points. Because anytime you destroy any of the other person's factions, whatever their power value is, is point that you're going to get on your tracker. And like you said, the first person of 30 points wins. So very simple. Like you said, actions, the gate control is important. So that's one of the things you have to do from a strategy standpoint. You know, I was sitting there trying to understand that, but then you did something for me that all games will do. You say, Hey, by the way, there's a way to break rules. Of course there's ways to break rules. There's always ways to break rules in a game. And that is through the spell books. I know I like this mechanic. This was in the base game and I really liked how this worked. So if you achieve certain goals, certain criteria, you can go through your spell book and place it on the board and it's all laid out right there for you and tells you how you'd have to achieve this. And then this will give you additional capabilities, powers, objectives, oh, just ways to break the game that can help you advance even quicker. That's very important. That's part of your strategy after you do. So you got these basic actions that Marty talked about, and then you have the spell books, and each are different. Each objective, the objectives are different between the, the great ones, the old ones, the elder ones. They're all different. So that all comes into play. So very asymmetric, one of Marty's favorite words to use in a board game, in a two-player game. Oh yeah, very much so. Uh, that's what I kind of like about this is that both of the actions that are available to us are exactly the same. It's just that the units that are on the board are just totally different. And, you know, you, like you said, you talk about the spell books. So each of us have six spell books that we can activate over the course of the game. For example, Black Goat has, hey, if you have four have units in four different areas, as soon as you achieve that, you get to take one of your spell books and put it on the board. Another one is... Uh, uh, awaken the elder one or the, the great one. As soon as you do that, you get a, a token on the board. And both of them are very different on how to get the spell books. But the spell books are very powerful, as we found out. You want to get spell books out as fast as possible because they give you passive abilities, such as making things cheaper or potentially even new actions that you can take on your turn that's available to that particular faction. Now, you don't need them all. We, did, we saw that. We saw that in one of our games. You don't always need all of them. Because that's where you have to balance the strategy, the position of your um, standees on the board versus the battles that we will talk about in a minute. And also each elder one has a special ability that they are allowed to use as mm -hmm. well. And each elder one's summoning is different. So what we're seeing here is two great elder ones battling it out. And we know, Marty, that this is just ripe for the ex other ones, the other elder great old, whatever they are, come out on You mean the expansions? Yes, I'm just saying there's going to be expansions <laughs> for elders. Yeah, hey, well, just like in the base game, there's a bunch of different types of factions. The, the same is here. This just happens to be uh, the first two. And you're talking about fighting uh, each other, you know, for control. When it comes time to actually start chunking some dice, if we're both in the same area and I spend a power to start a battle, you're going to take all the different monsters that you have in that area and add up their combat values. Whatever that adds up to, you're going to take a certain number of dice and you're going to roll them. Vice versa, the other person will do the exact same thing and then you resolve. So any sixes that are rolled will do a kill. Any fours or fives that are rolled will do a pain or suffering where basically that means they have to leave, move to an adjacent area. The thing is though I like though, 
is that the person who rolled to do the damage doesn't decide how the damage is allocated. It's the owner. So that's very important when you're going to decide to do battle. It's like you don't want to go in and do battle with just your great one, even though he's rolling tons of dice, because all it takes is for the person that you're fighting against to roll one six and your great one's off the board. You want to make sure he's paired with some basically some cannon fodder. So if some sixes are rolled, you can kill off a cultist or a minor monster here and there and save your big guys. What's important about that already mentioned, reiterating here is the power that they bring is the victory points for the other player. So as Marty points out, if you decimate their big boy, you're going to get a lot of power, a lot of victory points, getting them quicker to the 30 victory point in-game goal. You also, some of the spell books, knowing the spell books, before a battle, there's pre-battle things that can occur that may be able to devour or get rid of the enemies on the board, and then suddenly that fodder's gone. I keep stressing this, Marty, is the strategy the, the, that you need to take into this game. The first time we played, I was like, okay, there's not much to this. But second, and I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. A lot of strategy here. I need to think more thorough. I don't need to do this quick expansion. I need to really think about how you're reacting. It's kind of like, what's that Netflix show you're watching? This Queen's Gambit thing I keep hearing about? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Queen's Gambit. <laughs> so I'm like, you got you to gotta really think about this. You got to be paying attention to that. And the smaller board means that we are into action, into battles a lot quicker. Immediately. The game only takes like 30 minutes. It's a quick game. You know, the big full game is a lot longer. Uh, you can set this up, play a couple games in an hour, hour and 15 minutes easily. So we both played the different factions just to see how uh, they worked. Uh, like you said, there's these different states of the uh, battle. There's pre-battle, post-battle, etc. All dependent upon these spell books. And this is where I said to me, it feels a lot like a miniatures game. Because just like in a miniatures game, the units I'm bringing in have a very different feel than the units and stuff that you're bringing in. But the basic rules we share between the two of us, it's just the people that we bring in are going to break those rules. I guess in like a miniatures game, I need to know how my monsters work, the special abilities, how the spell spell books work. But if I also know yours, I'll do much better at playing because I'll know, okay, he's put that spell book out there. I know what that does. Oh, he's got that monster out there now. I know what he does. I want to avoid him, etc. But we're not done yet. It's not as simple as spawn some stuff, go fight some stuff. Oh, no. So once we both pass, at that point, uh, we're going to gather power back. Now, right when the game first starts, mm -hmm. we start each with eight power apiece. After that, we're going to gain power back at the end of our turn. We're going to gain one power per cultist on the board, two power per controlled gate. And basically, you control a gate if one of your cultist tokens is sitting on top of a gate. You get one power per captured cultist. Now, Tony, I like this. Uh, if I captured one of your cultists, what that would do is basically on my turn, it may not only potentially give me points, but it also adds additional power to me that I can use next round. And once I gain power from that cultist, I give it back to you. I don't capture it. I just keep it until the end of the round so I can count it up. Then there's going to be one power per abandoned gate. So let's say there's a gate sitting on the board where there's no cultist on it. Both of us get power for that. And then you may get additional powers for special abilities. Once that marker is set on your board, it's got, you got this nice little player board to track that, you evaluate. If one player ever has more than twice the amount of power as the other player, the other player immediately jumps up to half of that. So again, this kind of makes sure that one person doesn't run away from it. Then whoever has the most power will be the first player in the next round. And then it's the doom phase, which actually, Tony is another way to potentially end the game besides just getting 30 points first. 
In what way is that? Because you can't remember what it's called. It's called the Ritual of Annihilation. So there's a tracker on the bottom of the board. And you can spend power equal to the current position of this marker that's on the main board. And you get to earn one doom or victory point uh, per controlled gate that you have and one elder sign per great old one that you have on the board. So an elder sign is basically off to the side are some face down tokens of different values, one, twos, and threes. During this doom phase, you have the option of doing this ritual annihilation. You pay the cost in doom. It starts out at five. So I could pay five, count up the number of control gates I have, give myself that much doom. Then if I have, like if I was playing Cthulhu, he's on the board, I pick up one of those tokens, put it down in front of me. Then I move up that marker one spot. So the next time the ritual happens, it's going to cost a little bit more. But there's a limited number of spots on that track. And if every advance past the last one actually immediately triggers the end of the game, even though neither of us may be at 30 doom yet. Then at that point, what we're going to do is flip over any elder signs we have, add that to our existing doom, whoever has the most wins. And I won, but not by that. No, 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 no. That came down into an epic battle. That, that ritual of annihilation, annihilation, another part of the strategy. Do I really want to spend all that power to do that? Do I have enough? And that comes down to the gates you control. Sure. For me. If you have a lot of gates and it's like, oh man, the cost of original annihilation is is seven this time and I've only got 11, but I've got like four gates. That's immediately four points. Plus, if your great one's on the board, whatever elder sign token you pick up. So then that forces someone to come in and say, okay, I need to be able to take those gates away from you. Yes, 100%. And also... You're getting points for those controlled gates. So I want to make sure to take those control gates back from you. So you'll have less power that you can spend to actually perform the ritual of annihilation. Lots of stuff, dude. Lots of stuff going on. <laughs> it is. But that's what I think is so cool about it. It's such a deep game for something that's so simple to play. I mean, like I said, I went over the actions. You can summon cultists, monsters, great ones. You can build a gate. You can pay to move and pay one to fight. That's kind of pretty much your basic concept. Now, Tony, you said you don't necessarily need all the spell books on the board. There is one benefit if you do. If you get all six spell books out, you go into basically what's called unlimited battle mode. Typically, you can only battle once per round on your turn. If all six books are out, you could do multiple battles during your turn for that round. At the cost of one? At the cost of one. You just can't battle in the same area twice. So once I fought in this area, I can no longer battle in that area again, but I can go over here and fight in this area. So what happens is towards the end of the game, once both of you have six books out there, you're generating a lot of power. There is a lot of fighting going on the board. And it's it's kind of a, I mentioned this the other day when we were playing, when you crossed about the 20, 21 points on the Doom track, it ramped quickly. Because you had a lot of people out that could wipe me out. You were able to do the Ritual of Annihilation to get some quick points. So it's a slow build, but a quick ending. So it's an acceleration ramp, pretty much. And that's what we expect from a good game. That's what we expect it to be doing is build, build, build up for one great, humongous battle royale at the end, which Mm -hmm. I'm fine with, Marty. I am absolutely fine with that. I hate, okay, rephrasing that. I do not like those games that it is a slow 
meticulous, drawn out. But that's me. Anybody listening to the show knows that I am not a fan of those types of games. Yeah. I, I like those big hitters at the end. Do you remember one thing I always said I liked about 51st State from Portal Games is the fact that at the very beginning when everybody's engine is just starting out, you may get a point, you may get mm-hmm. two points. But three or four rounds in, all of a sudden, oh man, I'm generating four points. I'm generating five points. I mean, the, the end comes really quick. And that's how I feel with this one too. Because once you get a lot of monsters out on the board and then you're doing a lot of battling and you got those special powers, which will help you earn victory points, then it just really ramps up. So slow burn in the beginning, very fast ending that you got to kind of prep for. But don't let the dice push you away from this game. <sighs> yeah, that's a very good point. Dice can be nasty, right? They're random, of course. Yes. Yep. Because in our games, I mean, there was that one where you were pretty well just destroying me, and I got a whole bunch of sixes in a big royale battle, and that was the game. Yep. But, you know, too, as those powers come out, as you understand how your monsters work, how your opponent's monsters work, there may be a special abilities that help mitigate potential bad like on the dice rolls, et cetera, you might can earn some re-rolls and, and stuff like that. And as more factions come out, there may be some other ways to help mitigate the dice. I have a feeling that these two that came out uh, are kind of very basic. They're easy to, easy to learn. You can read. Okay, I understand how that works. But just like we talked about in our last episode with Unmatched, you start out with the really basic concepts. This is how this works. And then you can come out with more complicated factions and stuff later on, on down the road. So again, where I said, hey, this kind of has a miniatures game feel to it. When it comes down to the battle, you're chucking dice. Sometimes they roll your way. Sometimes they don't. And if you really enjoy this game and the standees, you're like, oh, man, if only they hadn't done standees. Keep in mind, Peterson Games has the Call of Cthulhu miniatures out there. And you can pick those up at miniaturemarket.com. That's miniaturemarket.com. Paint them. You can really enhance this game if you enjoy it. And right there becomes a miniatures game. You just added miniatures. Okay, that may not make it a miniatures game, but in my simple mind, it makes it a miniatures game. <laughs> yeah, and, and we actually looked that up on Miniature Market. They have the old ones on there, the great ones like Cthulhu, et cetera. They got some little cultist uh, tokens. Even if it's not the exact uh, monsters, if you want to supplement the game, you can do that. But again, what they're trying to do is for $29.99, get the Cthulhu Wars feel out on the table so that you can enjoy it if you didn't contribute to that big Kickstarter that happened seven years ago. Or, you know, you just don't want that big box of Cthulhu Wars lying around and a game that can last, you know, 90 minutes to two hours, depending on the number of players. This consolidates this all into a little nice small board standees that you can set up, play, and be done in 30 minutes. And you've heard me talk about this on previous shows, Marty. I wish more games that brought miniatures into it would bring standees so that it's a lower cost level. Mm-hmm. Let me make the decision if I want to enhance the game, if I want to add those, and oftentimes I will, or provide them to me as a separate purchase or a way to do it. And they already have. Call of Cthulhu is right there for you to buy it. I also can see this where you know, where we had the two-player games going on, uh, I can like our, we did with our War Machine. You could drop this in no time and have this going on. War Cry, same thing, where you've got yep. these battles going on. You could set up tournaments if we ever get back to tournaments. And it's funny that you said that because if they come out with more of these, you could totally set up an afternoon at the game store. And basically, all right, we're going to have a Cthulhu Wars duels tournament. Uh, bring in a faction of your choice, you know, sign up. Okay. This pack, I'm going to play against you, whatever faction you got. There's multiple factions that are available. You kind of learn what every faction does. So you have like a little bit of a strategy against them, resolve game in 30 minutes. 
This very much could have some organized play with it. I don't know that they will. Peterson Games has not told us that. I could potentially see it doing that, especially if this game takes off. So I'm going to end this for me and saying that I really enjoyed playing this game. I liked how the end was not predetermined. I really enjoyed how we were sitting there spending our power back and forth and the strategy behind it. I felt it was a very strategic game. So for me, I thoroughly enjoyed playing this game. Yeah. And so for me, again, uh, like when I saw how you spend the power to take actions on your turn, it's like, oh, Blood Rage. I love Blood Rage. I love that resource mechanic. So I was immediately into that right there. And you say it's a very strategical game. I agree, but it's also a very tactical game because Turn by turn, you're you're moving, you're you're trying to get position, you're trying to I'm trying to keep an eye on where you're moving your people. Is he gonna fight there? Is he gonna try to take my cultist? Well, then I better go and reinforce. Because actually one of the cool things is with that one action where you can capture a cultist, which will give you know an additional power on on your turn, you can only capture it if there's nothing else in that space that is a greater value or greater ranking than what you are. So for example, if I come into a space with my Cthulhu and your cultist is there, I can get it. If a monster and a cultist is there, I can do it. But if your great one is in there, I cannot take that action. Likewise, a monster can always take a cultist if it's the only thing there in that space. But if my opponent's monster is there, it can't. You're constantly trying to make sure I want to protect this. I want to protect my cultist over here because I want to protect this controlled gate that I have. So uh, he's only got a monster on the board. So as long as I leave a monster in that space, I know you can't capture it unless you battle. I just like that tactical element of it as trying to get positions in certain areas of the board. So all that I really enjoy. But then you know what? I, I do enjoy the random missile dice. I do like the miniature games. So I like getting a big handful of dice, rolling and resolving. I like the, the fact that the opponent decides how to allocate the damage, how to deal with that dice so they can strategically go, well, I'd rather keep this monster, lose this monster. I don't want to lose him. I'll move him back, etc. And you move back to an adjacent area if there's no other opponents that are there. So that's how you can move back out. Cthulhu Wars Duel. I now really wouldn't mind experiencing the big version of the game. I think it'd be interesting to sit at the table with you and one or two other people and have this big battle with these big miniatures on the board because we understand how the mechanic works. If we ever get back to our RDTM meetings of lunch, over lunch, this is a great lunchtime game. And it's available right now. Came out of nowhere, man. Kind of a shadow drop. You know, in video games, where they do a shadow drop. It's like, oh, we didn't know this game was being made. And boom. There it is. So at the release, as of the release of this episode, you can go out to Peterson Games website and actually order this right now. And it's only $29.99. There's a lot of game in this little box. Uh, there really is. There's a lot that you can do with it. And I hope that they come out with some, maybe some additional factions, maybe, I don't know, like maybe 15 bucks for a new faction, because all it really takes is a couple punch boards and a new player card and six uh, spell cards. And that's it. So be sure to check it out. Go to the Peterson Games website for more information. Appreciate you taking time listening to us talk about this new, Marty talks about the shadow boxing drops or whatever. Shadow drops, shadow boxing drops. (laughs) (laughs) Um, By the way, for everybody, make sure you spell Peterson Games correctly. That is P-E-T-E-R-S-E-N games.com because don't do don't put the o as son peterson 
Come back and listen again in two weeks for our year-end episode where we will have some great giveaways, talk about the annual survey that we're going to have up. Keep rolling dice. And taking names. As Tony said, remember to come back our next episode. It's our big anniversary episode. And for, to prep for it, make sure to go join our Discord server. Join our BGG Guild because those are going to where we're going to be drawing some names for some great prizes. Tony and I have already contacted several publishers who are going to be giving away some super games, maybe some gift certificates from Miniature Market. So you want to check out episode 218. Follow us on Twitter at Dyson Names and Instagram Dyson Names. And since this is a special episode, we're not doing a stinger. But you just did one. Oh, Oh, well. <laughs>